Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Good morning, and welcome to Practitioner Radio, episode 57, 57. With you today, I am George Spaulding, Executive Vice President of Pink Elephant, and also on the line is Troy Dumoulin, the other half of the dynamic duo. We're almost 60, Troy. Yeah, good afternoon. Hey, a couple of years, we'll be able to collect Social Security. A couple of sessions, what am I saying? Ouch, ouch, <laughs> ouch. Good heavens. Where are we now? It's spring. Though it's still not sure it's spring. Love is in the air. Uh, what's that song? The lusty month of May. We're in the lusty month of May. That's where we're at. So our topic today is, I guess I'll do the simplistic version of it. We're going to talk about simulations and kind of the value of simulation or experiential learning, why it's a good idea, why it isn't. You and I actually go way back in the world of simulations. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, we're like super old. Remember Moff and... Uh, well, not just Moff. It's, yes, I do remember Moff and the McKinley model. McKinley simulation. And I remember when you and I, this is going way back, it was October two, 2001. And if you recall, that would be about less than a month after 9-11. And you and I flew out to the Microsoft campus in Redmond. Yes, I'm remembering this. And it was the only time I've ever flown for business that I felt brave because every when I went to the airport, there were nothing but soldiers with guns standing around. And I was like, whoa, this is like weird. And, th- and then we did a simulation based on airline traffic and crashes and such. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it kind of, that was kind that of was weird. Great. Yeah, that was a bit circumstantial. Yeah. Anyway, I remember that. I just uh, can't get that one out of my mind. That was fun. Yeah, the, uh, that was when you and I both learned to do the, the McKinley simulation and when we both qualified to teach MOF, the Microsoft Operations Framework, uh, which is based on ITIL version 2, for those of you who have never heard of it. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about simulations. Now, at Pink, for instance, we, we, off, we do the McKinley or we have done the McKinley in the past. We never moved up to do the the Polestar simulation, which is kind of the next version of it from G2G3, who wrote the original McKinley. In some of our regions, like I think the UK delivers the the Polestar, so there's actually some pink entities that do. Uh, here, we we uh, we focus on some other great simulations as well. So yeah, with the reasons why we do the simulations, uh, that's that's a good point to start. I think what. You know, what's the value of simulations? Why would you look at simulations alternatively to what our, uh, you know, President David Radcliffe would call the traditional chalk and talk sessions where you've got the presentation uh, loop going? And that, I think that's important to talk about that first, but then we can talk about the simulations themselves. I don't know about you, George, but for me personally, I have to see something. I have to experience something to truly get a sense of how that works. It's I'm a visual learner by by definition, and experiential would be another way to kind of move beyond just the chalk and talk, the auditory, the presentation model. Well, and when I was doing geek training back in the day, uh, back in 2000, 2000, 98, 
2000, 2002. And teaching things like Microsoft and Cisco, what I found was that, of course, I had to take a lot of courses to get my certifications and things. I found that if, if I didn't have a, a really smart instructor in the front of the room, that I could pepper with questions that I really, I wouldn't learn anything. I could not learn just reading the book. There are those that can. I can't. I have to have an instructor that I can pepper with questions. Not to be annoying, I'm not a heckler, but I could be annoying if I, if I don't understand something. If they explain something and I don't get it, then I keep asking questions until I get it. I assume I'm not totally stupid, therefore I assume I should be getting it, so therefore I ask questions until I do. Experiential learning for me, I think we all learn. We all learn by doing. And, you know, I, and inter- I have an interesting analogy for you right now, Troy. So my grandson, Sam, my oldest grandson, is 15 and almost 15 and a half. Well, of course, the, the key words for him are must drive car. So, um, so what he's doing now, he has in Minnesota, he's qualified for a permit. So he's got this piece of paper that says he's allowed to drive with his parents or with me or something like that. Well, the, but what's strange is that and what his father, my son, is confused about, and I don't blame him, is the fact that that's, that's the first step. So first step, get you, you know, take the test and get a paper test and get a piece of paper. And now you start driving. But there was no driver ed. There was no train you. So now what happens is that, and this is backwards, and he believes it's backwards, so do I. Now the way they're playing the game is the kid has to learn to drive with their parents, which is like the worst possible idea known to mankind because the parents are screaming and yelling and uh, normal stuff. And, And there's no driver ed until this doesn't make sense. The kid has the license. So in other words, I have to I have to know how to drive well enough to get the license and pass the actual experiential driving test. Then I get to go to driver's education. And learn the rules of the road. And learn, well, but I had to know the rules to get to get that far. So it's like, I, I, it's crazy. And I don't understand it because it sure wasn't that way 20, 30 years ago when my kids went through. Anyway. Well, there's actually a, a couple ways to look at this. So you make a really good point here, first of all. So there's a difference between education, learning concept, terms, principles, abstract thoughts about something you had never thought about before, right? And being able to take those abstract things and connect them to something meaningful. Then there's the hands-on, I'm training, uh, this is, I'm, I'm actually doing the thing. So this, and I'm, I know that we like to talk about the difference between education and training in that context. Now, I believe there is actually a period of time where sometimes it makes sense to do the training first, followed by the education, and then sometimes, alternatively, education first and training. So let me give you an example of this. So one of the first things, we're, you know, we, we're an education slash training company, uh, and we do other things, by the way, everyone. We do consulting and events. All <laughs> Training is a part of our model, but a big one. A big one. The, the reality is one of the first questions that I ask a a customer who's calling asking about our services is what are they trying to achieve? Now, there's usually two primary answers here. One of them would be, yeah, we've got this group of people who believe something different and they don't really get the point of all this process stuff and why we should bother, blah, blah, blah. So we'd want to sit them in a class and teach them differently. There's this, I need to change their heart and mind question. I need to indoctrinate them. Indoctrinate them, thinking differently. You must drink the Kool-Aid. You will drink Kool-Aid. 
Yeah. Now, okay, so that's one goal. I must convince and influence my, my friends and others, right? That's one. The other is, now these people really have got it. They understand the urgency. They, we had a major outage recently that really proved the point of all of this. We don't need to be convinced. We just need to know what to do, how to get this done and what to do differently. Now I need to understand what to do. And that's the education side, uh, the concepts, the principles that are different to how I work today. So if I'm hearing that the first goal is what they're after, convince, uh, emotionally impact, change beliefs, you know, touch heartstrings, then I personally believe that is not the best use of a classroom best training. Because if I put a bunch of people who are already walking in with, you know, uh, perceptions of why am I here? Why am I bothering? And they're walking in with literally their arms crossed and they have the biggest frown on their face. And I start putting up the PowerPoint presentation and talking to them about best principles. What do you think they're going to do? What do you think, George? They're going to click off. In fact, I've been to, I've taught classes where, you know, during my intro, I said, and then how many of you are here because it showed up in your Outlook calendar? And in many cases, the vast majority, which from an adult education point of view, couldn't be worse. So that's not a good scenario. They're either going to click off and basically just be sullen and leave half the class, you know, and find ways to be away. Or they'll be aggressive and they'll start antagonizing the instructor and the rest of the students. Again, not a good scenario. So this, the use of classroom-based education is not a great scenario in this context. So in my view... They need to be shown uh, that there's a problem first. They have to experience the problem firsthand. They have to realize, wait, maybe it's not going to work the way I think it's going to work. This is where simulation experiential-based training is the primary thing you should be doing. Changing hearts and minds. Now, conversely, I've had that major outage. Everyone does buy in. We just need to know what we're doing, how we're going to do it differently. That's where now they're ready to sit and listen and learn on an education basis. So that's where you'd start with education. And if you wanted to follow up with some practical skills-based training, then you could use the simulation as a follow-on. So now you just heard it in the class, let's let's try it out, right. right? In the experiential learning aspect, secondary. So experiential learning actually comes in in both contexts, but it's, it's sequencing will be highly dependent on what goal you're trying to go for. Mm-hmm. Very good, Troy. I like that explanation. I really do. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, it, it, think back to our friend John Cotter uh, from you know Management of Organizational Change, Harvard Business School. He had his first book came out. It was Leading Change. And he thought about urgency and how you had to show people the error of their ways and the logical premise that urgency is always based on if they just see the truth, they will go to the promised land, hallelujah, because of the logical implications of that reality. This light bulb that goes off. Hey, I'm from the United States. We we spend our life not seeing urgency. I mean, just look at the look at the climate change. You know, we're experiencing all these extra super duper storms and tornadoes and everything else, and we still have like forty percent of the country saying, "Well, I don't think there's really any climate change going on." No, there really isn't. Yeah, just because we're having snow in somewhere in May, and you know, we're we just. 20 people just died in tornadoes in Oklahoma. No, no, everything's just normal, normal, normal. It's crazy. Well, actually, there's a U.S. state with a show me on the license plate, right? Yeah, that would be Missouri. They're, Missourians are all about experiential learning. There you go. <laughs> I'm from Missouri. you got to show me. I, I lived there for three years. Now, to take your Cotter story back, he actually 
wrote another book 10 years later after he went back into his, all the research he had done before. He found out that doesn't actually work that way. He wrote another book. Do you remember the name of that book? Uh, the Heart The Heart of Change. The Heart of Change. And the primary premise, if you remember, George, because you, I know you do this. In fact, you're going to do it a whole session coming up at the forum on this, is that your urgency has to be based on emotional context and, and connection. You have to show me. So that emotional thing has to be connected to a experience. And that's what I think, you know, when uh, almost every simulation starts with the same uh, basic premise, which is it's, 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 like the, um, it's like the boot camp premise. In other words, everybody walks into boot camp pretty cocky. You know, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm young, I'm strong, I can handle this. And the premise of boot camp is to tear you down and then build you back up in a different way. That's the premise of every army or whatever, boot camp, training period. Well, we do the exact same thing in most of these simulations, only we do it within a very confined period of time. We do it in one day or two days max, but one day usually. The first round is designed to tear you down. The first round is designed to show you, you, in spite of all your intelligence and all your experience and all your brilliance, you don't know squat. And basically it's designed to allow you on your own, this is the good news, I don't force you to mess up. You get to do it all by yourself. You totally get to do it. You get to design a bad process. You get to implement a bad process. You get to watch it fail. You get to watch the consequences of what happens when the process fails. You get to do all of that and then see it and feel it. And what I like to say is feel it in your gut. And what, what is all still continued to this day, what amazes me when I do simulations, and I do, today, I do mostly the Apollo 13 simulation, which is basically an ITIL support level uh, services simulation, service support, service delivery to a certain extent. But the, um, is how seriously people take it. Oh, yeah. They just, they just can't stop themselves from taking this completely seriously, even though it's an inherently artificial situation. You're in a room. It's obvious that we're all going to live through the day. You know, we're all going to have lunch. <laughs> we're all, everything's going to be normal. It's all We're all going to come out of this okay at the but end of the pride, day. But their pride, their ego is on the line, George. Unbelievable how much it is. They just can't, can't distance themselves. They are right in it, right in the middle of it. So when you get a good simulation that's been created by people who really know how to do it and then is well facilitated, they are in it, lock, stock, and barrel. They are committed. They are invested. And because of that, they feel it when it breaks, when things don't work right. They feel bad. And that's exactly what we're trying to achieve. And when we get through that nickname chaos round, which we're not engineering the chaos. It's just happening because of nature of human uh, current practice. They now are ready to hear that might be a different way or a better way. And they're able to create that different way and improve that better way. Yeah. So this is the power, the power of building urgency via simulations and experiential learning. You know, not everybody kind of learns this way, but I do believe everybody needs to have an emotional checkpoint of what I believe is not necessarily accurate or could be done differently. There's this urgency switch that has to be tipped over. Yeah. So, you know, there are different you know, educational models. We talked about the Fleming model, visual learners, auditory learners, kinesthetic, hands-on learners. Uh, there's another model called the Kolb learning style model, which I actually referred to in another podcast, which I'll put in the show notes. 
And that talks about the fact that we have people who really, uh, similar to the, the Fleming model, they're people who like to have concrete, experiential, feeling-based you know, initial elements, and then they need the hands-on based on that urgency aspect that you described. Some people like to start with the conceptual, and then they would need to apply practical. Some people like to have the conceptual, and then they want to just see it, and then they need to apply practical. There's different people, different strokes, but the reality is this experiential part is valid and something that is useful for all learning styles. Yeah, no question. Yeah, so let's talk about what we do at Pink, because I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited about some of the stuff that we're doing. We're we partner with an organization called Gaming Works, and Gaming Works has a great portfolio of simulations we provide. Uh, two that I think we should focus on today, though, is the Apollo and the Grab a Pizza Business and IT Alignment, and they have different goals. Let's talk about that a bit. Okay, so I, while I've experienced, I've experienced the Grab a Pizza. In other words, I've attended it and talked about it. I've never taught it. Uh, or facilitated it, but I have done Apollo 13 a number of times. And Apollo 13 focuses on basically the operational processes within ITIL and how to improve them and how to get them to work. And the goal, of course, is to bring those astronauts back from space. And if you really don't do it right or you truly fail, the astronauts will die. So you suddenly you're into it pretty quickly. Uh, and everybody, the other part about it that I've found that it teaches is uh, the concept of roles and role-based and people doing their job but not trying to do everybody's job. Um, I need to do this. And the other piece of it is, you know, I'm a geek and I understand certain technical aspects of things. But, I, you know, when, when that's going to impact, I now need to know the impact of those technical issues. And when I know the impact, I need to get out of my geek shell and raise the alarm. What I like about Apollo is that geek context, because literally it is really good for folks that are really technically oriented by nature, because literally they got rocket parts given to them. They have to create this configuration management system about how these rocket parts connect. And if one piece fails, how does that impact life support? You know, that's real in the context of, uh, you know, urgency and business criticality. And it's fun to watch them build that rocket too. If you, if you give the rocket cards to a bunch of geeks, it's, you know, and say that, you know, here's the instructions, now build a rocket. You know, it's, first of all, they, we only give them, you know, usually around 20 minutes to do it, which is never enough time. So the first test is whether they ask for more time or whether they keep lying to me. Are you going to be ready? Oh yeah. 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 Going to be ready. Yeah. 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 And of course, they're not ready. They're never ready. It's impossible. So, but they don't ask for more time. They just keep lying. And then suddenly time's up and there is no rocket. So it's, you know, that, that's like the very first test. It's like, why would you, okay, why, when you fully understood the scope of the project, why would you stick with the original deadlines? It just doesn't make any sense. The deadlines were, were crazy. You made them or they were imposed upon you before anybody knew anything. Suddenly, poof, now you know. So you should be screaming about the deadlines, but no, they don't. They accept, just accept it. Well, not that we never say no to business demand we can't handle, right? <laughs> right. We, we never do that in reality. No, no. Never, never, never. Yeah. Well, first of all, we don't really have a sense of what we can handle because we, we, we haven't got that d defined either. It's a good one. I like it. I like the fact that you're making changes on the fly. You have, right, like the movie, right? Or actually the real life. The movie was based on a real life situation where you have emergency changes that no one anticipates and... How do you correlate that with the maintenance activities that are going on? And then you've got the the astronauts, if 
of course, a bit worried in the capsule, screaming down. And how do they get connected to what's going on in the emission control? Yeah. What's your favorite role when you when you when you facilitate this, George? Actually, the facilitator is my favorite role. <laughs> <laughs> you get to step out of the mess, right? Oh man, it's like it's, it's great to be king, but the yeah, it's it's really fun. What's what's the most interesting is, of course, the when we when we assign roles to people uh, in this uh, in this simulation in Apollo thirteen, we try and give them things that are uh, foreign to them. If you've got someone highly technical, you take them out of the technical part of it. If you've got a leader or a CIO or a manager, you try and take them out of the leadership role. So those kinds of things become pretty interesting. And the I tell you what's really fun is that. The help desk, which, which in uh, Apollo 13 is called Capcom, is a very high-pressure role. And, of course, most people view the help desk as, you know, kind of, nah, well, it's beneath me, that kind of thing. But it's uh, it gets real interesting real fast to watch them operate at the help desk. I've seen it. I've, I want to be able to – I'm going to facilitate this soon. I want to do what you're doing now. But uh, I have seen that role exactly as you described it you know, the pressure point and that's reality too. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think what I have seen and how I've, I have positioned, I think Apollo is great for anyone in IT, especially um, people from a technical perspective who have, to, who have to understand the value of process because they can be the best technical individual department or silo. But if they are not working in collaboration with the other part of mission control and the other parts, you know, the organization trying to bring those astronauts home, regardless of how good they are individually, they're not bringing those astronauts home. Exactly. Well, teamwork is a, and a number of our clients, when they purchase this, have, have actually, that, that's really the, their number one goal. Uh, my people aren't working as a team. They're working isolated. They, they're, they're all competent. They're all good. But they, they isolate, and we, we lose a lot of the, beneficia- the benefits of working as a team. And uh, is there anything you can do with that? Sure, Absolutely. So that's Apollo. That's that's the team. That's the collaboration, the importance of processes that span silos and organizational structures. The other one uh, that really is cool that we I like to talk about is the, the, the business and IT alignment, the grab at pizza simulation. And I've had a bit more exposure to that. That's a totally different set of objectives. Where Apollo is great for the technical side, what is, I find, very powerful about the Gravit Pizza simulation is it deals with the issue of the fact that IT priorities are not matched to business priorities. In fact, you know we we hear a lot about this from our customers, and there's been research done about the primary complaint that the business, the business unit, has of IT is that the IT does not understand what is important to the business and business priorities. Is that your observation, George? That's mine. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's certainly the focus of of uh, the. Uh, grab it pizza. It's it tends to be there's technical elements to it, and there's you know the normal things you would expect uh, in a daily you know IT operation. There's upgrades and changes and capacity issues, and and suddenly the business has this huge uh, need uh, for uh, a big jump in capacity that's you know going to make or break the business um, and IT has to be able to respond and they have to take their time to get up to that point all that stuff they can't turn around you know in one week and do it so it's it's very real um, and uh, the the re- the limits that are placed on you within that simulation are real and I think that uh, because of that people relate to it really well mm-hmm. specifically what makes it real 
is that the issue is that there's a business challenge happening. This organization has to transform. It's it's failing in the market. It needs to do something completely different to basically reinvent itself. And it needs IT to enable that transformation project. The goal is financial because every decision made in this game will either impact the business bottom line by positive revenue contribution or negative contribution. And that's one of the powerful things that comes out of this is that how decisions are made in the prioritization of engagement, business relationship management, portfolio management, demand management, and how finances are invested relative to trying to find a balance between customer demand and back-end maintenance type of requirements, how if you don't get that right, you might be doing a great job, you think, uh, from an IT perspective on maintenance and infrastructure, but not enabling, in fact, sending the business into a decline because every decision you make on the back-end has a positive or negative influence on the business. The power of this is, again, this communication channel because we have today, in my opinion, We've got a business that doesn't necessarily understand how does IT enable their business results. You know, they, they think of them as something that is non-core to business outcomes, which is interesting because everything is digital. And then the IT group doesn't understand what they do in relationship to actually making money or losing money. And this simulation really ties that together. So if you have an organization who's trying to deal with this business engagement alignment issue and how does that happen, this simulation is key for that. Yeah, it's very cool. And of course, it's fun. But what's interesting, once again, is everybody's in it from the first moment. They're, they're committed. They're in it. They're, they don't want to screw up. They want to do it right. Uh, they're, you know, they're angry at the facilitator for in, imposing what would be limitations that they, they could get it perfect if you would just do X, Y, and Z. But of course, that's not real world. Yeah. So, hey, hey Troy. So, you know, we got like a couple minutes left here, and I think we've talked about simulations. So can we talk about a couple things that have kind of happened recently? Absolutely. So um, we've got, I, I noticed this week that the CEO of Target Corporation is resigning. Of course, they are resigning primarily over the huge data breach from Target last Christmas time. That's right. And I live in Minneapolis, St. Paul, so that's the headquarters of the Target Corporation. So, of course, it's a big deal. And uh, what was really interesting was, you know, we went to Target, oh, I don't know, three, four weeks after Christmas and to buy something. And you know, we whipped out our credit card, and my wife and I, and we looked at each other and at the checkout counter and said, gee, I wonder if we should we should use our credit card here at Target. And the checkout person heard us and they they read the, if you will, the the party line. Credit cards are perfectly safe at Target now. We have do 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 It was just interesting that everybody obviously was having that same basic second thought about using their credit card at Target. What's interesting is a couple things on that credit card side of things is I'm, I live in the United States, but I come to Canada a great deal because of pink. Well, in Canada... My credit card never leaves my possession when I go to a restaurant. They bring the checkout to the table, and they, it's all wireless, technological. Uh, my cards have – doesn't matter whether it's a swipe or a chip, though mine have chips. But the amazing thing is the United States hasn't embraced that at all, which is crazy to me. Uh, but the other piece – the reason I'm bringing this up, Troy, is because – We've had a couple of recent announcements. Um, uh, Axelos has announced what they're now calling a cyber resilience that's right. practice, if you will, uh, and uh, that that's going to have some courses that are going to be available January 2015. 
And then uh, just the last couple of days, uh, ISACA went public announcing their cybersecurity certification, and they're going to have a foundation course available by the end of this year, and then a, a practitioner course, it appears, uh, in cybersecurity somewhere around mid um, mid 2015. So there seems to be a, a lot of interest and a lot of stuff happening in the world of cybersecurity. And um, it's not like this is anything brand new. No. I'm just curious, why do you believe, Troy, it's suddenly happening like it is right now? Well, you know the old saying, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? So we've had a number of significant ones. Target, you mentioned, we've had the Heartbleed just a few weeks ago, which has been now coined the most serious uh, cybersecurity related incident in history for the internet. Uh, we've had other major organizations publicly uh, announce this. We've had the whole NSA uh, debacle with you know all of that privacy data that's been now exposed. We have it's just in the news, and it's like we have never been more vulnerable because we are basically everything is now digital, which makes it um, something that can be attacked. We have the Internet of Things, which now means every single technology component right down to the endpoint technology of the insulin pump in your chest has a chip which can be hacked. So, you know, the the risk, the urgency, the emotional, where it, it comes home to the individual person is getting higher. And I think the word risk is the key word here. It's not new. It's just... It's the experience of the impact on the individual, which is now being felt. Uh, and I think it, in, and you, George, and I have had this conversation. What's at the heart of this is our poor practice around risk management. So this would seem to be, now that we're kind of out of time, this would be a phenomenal topic for our next practitioner radio. That was a teaser, was it? I love it. So that's it. It was. <laughs> it was a teaser for the next one coming soon. Okay, Troy, I think we're out of time. Any last words? Not on today's subject, just uh, I really am a believer in experiential learning. It is a powerful way. You just need to understand when and how it's applied best. Perfect. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Thanks, everybody, for your time. Hope to see you in the next one. Bye now. Bye.